DJ PK and Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us, which doesn't really do justice, and we will get to that in just a moment. Dylan joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Dylan, good morning. Morning, fellas. How we doing? Good. Dylan, I've been trying to reconstruct the last decade of your life and your playing career because I think that you have done a great job of crossing paths with all the stories we're dealing with, and we want to thank you for that. Good work. Hey, that's what I'm here for. It's a valiant effort. A lot of time spent, a lot of moving, but here we are. All worthwhile. Okay, so let's go through the resume and make sure I've tracked this right. 2012... You're in the BYU program. You're a freshman, and Broncos the head coach, right? Correct. 2013 and 14, you're on a mission. You're out of college football. You're back in 2015. You go to Hawaii and play for Norm Chow, who used to be on our show weekly, right? Yes, sir. And then you have the coaching change. Rolovich comes in. You're there with him for two years in 2016 and 17, and that's why you were able to give us a lowdown on the Utah-Washington State Rolovich stuff last week. Correct. And then you transfer back to BYU in 2018, and you play for Kalani, and now we can ask you about Kalani and Bronco because you played for them both, and they're about to go head-to-head. Way to go, Dylan. You're Absolutely. Man. <laughs> Way to throw yourself. Just a journeyman. <laughs> Way to throw yourself in the middle of all the stories. So it was freshman <laughs> Dylan who saw Bronco, and then it was senior veteran, return missionary, well-traveled, double transfer, working on his fourth coach. So I get that you see... Kalani at a different time in your life with different experiences and all that. But I am curious how they're the same and how they're different from the fan perspective and the media's perspective. We get that, but when you're in a weight room, in a film room, in a practice with them, in a locker room, you know, halftime speech, you see stuff we don't get to see. So delving into that stuff, what have they got in common and what's different? Yeah, I think one of the main things that they have in common is their genuine care for the the individual player um you know and the well-being outside of football they both approach it very differently um in their personalities but uh, one of the things that you kind of noticed and saw from the very beginning of whether it be the recruiting process or even just being a part of the team uh the love that they have for the individuals is bar none um probably you know greater than most people uh, even outside of coaching <laughs> and so that is something in you know quite possibly outside of maybe that love that genuine love and appreciation for BYU um, I mean I, I to be honest with you I think there's you're not looking at two more different people um, you know in in a coaching career in a personality and in, in, in a perspective aspect they're, they are very, very different than they are common. So when you were there, what type of level of respect did the players have for Bronco? Uh, a ton. It was, it was extremely high, high respect. Obviously, right, when you talk about someone who wants to put you and wants to keep that level un, of uncomfort to make sure that you are progressing, Bronco Mendenhall is that guy. Uh, he has a very unique way of ensuring that the discipline on the football field um, and off the football field is, is taken to that next level. And 
that was at the time what BYU needed and it worked for the personalities that were within the program. As we look at today's culture and today's day and age and what Kalani has been able to do in that transition period, I mean, we're going from what was Gary Croton's experience and almost on the opposite side when it came to the values and what you know BYU was hoping to achieve out of the culture aspect and what message they wanted to push, you know, I think everyone understands Coach Croton was on the completely other side. And so Bronco came in as a way to bring it back. And to a lot of people, it was on the complete opposite side. <laughs> For me personally, I think Kalani does a very good job and because the time was right, balancing that right in the middle right. and ensuring that the values and standards of BYU is still the priority, but you know, football, football matters. Football is fun. Football is exciting. Uh, and there's that, that level of joy that comes from it. Yeah, see, I think that's very perceptive, Dylan, because I keep saying that Bronco, and I was working for the newspaper at the time, and I was the beat guy, so I'm down there every day, and you had more, way more access than you have now uh, mm-hmm. anyway, so you got to know people in the program, you got to know the coaches a lot better, and the idea of Bronco was the right man at the right time, I think, is what sums it up for what the program needed at that time. He was the man. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, there wasn't a better guy for what that, the goal of the time was. Um, and I think he achieved that. Yes. We've been talking about Matt Wells getting fired at uh, Texas Tech in the middle of his third mm-hmm. year when his second year was COVID year. Recruiting's all out of whack. Games are out of whack. Everything's crazy. And I want to kind of contrast that to Kalani growing into the job. I think anyone who listens to him talk now versus two years ago versus his first year on the job, it's clear he's growing into the job. Now, not every job is there to be grown into, right? There are some jobs where you got to come in, hit the ground, and deliver. But I also think there are times you make hires and you know you have to let this person grow into the job. It's their first head coaching job in the case of Kalani, or maybe it's at a school with a whole different recruiting base and budget and staffing and all that, whatever it is. And I'm curious what you think from what you're seeing with Kalani now and what you saw when you were in the locker room, how is Kalani changing and growing? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the focus that he has put on the head coaching experience is, is huge and it is a lot different. Um, I think when you look at the first couple of years and the struggles that were there and obviously expected, but you look at the people that were brought on and hired uh, and the effectiveness that it had in regards to the football. Um, and, you know, there were struggles and the expectations. Uh, and I think the pressure that was put on Kalani to fulfill both the personal and the football uh, responsibility was very difficult and to ask a first-time head coach to do those things as friends or family can can be very 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 strenuous and so to kind of relieve the pressure by bringing in maybe not his closest friends or even maybe just acquaintances or people that he's you know coached with in the past he obviously wanted to make sure that he trusted them as people and that's why you see Fessy on the staff that's why you see A-Rod on the staff obviously all extremely deserving of their jobs but there wasn't as much of a social pressure 
in, you know, in, in having them on the staff. Whereas before, I think he was still in a place of trying to uh, please, right, the people he loved and the people he cared about, which is a very, very difficult, difficult thing to do, especially when you have as much love for the people in your life as Kalani does, because there's very few people who love more than Kalani does. Oh, for sure. Uh, how bad do you think that BYU needed to win that game going into this game, so beating Washington State instead of being 5-3, and 6-2 and two going into this game? Uh, it was huge. It was huge. I think it was bigger for the offense than it was the defense to be able to kind of get the ball rolling again, see where aspects of the game – you know, may have been slowed down uh, to really open that back up and gain confidence against a team like Washington State. You know, uh, I wish it would have been more, but it, I believe it was enough to really go in and, and be confident uh, this this week. Dylan Collins, Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. I am curious when you were. Uh, in uh, when you're playing for Bronco the first time, did you ever see him as a coach who'd have a team throwing for more than 400 yards per game and second in the country in passing yardage? Because that didn't really occur to me. <laughs> and and they had teams that threw the ball well, but they didn't have teams that throw the ball like this. Like yeah. 300 yards per game is a lot of yards. 350 is another step. 400 that that's a massive number. Uh, and to be honest, no, I didn't. Um, I think the expectation for I, this this genuinely shows what the ability that Bronco has as a, as a football coach is one of the best football coaches in all of football. Bronco has the ability to understand where the weaknesses are as a defensive mind, exploit those weaknesses for an offense, and then demand growth. And he's going to demand growth until it is up to his level of expectation. That is going to take time. But based off of where he's recruiting, who he has access to, the resources that he has available to him today, which was a lot different back in 2006, 2007, you know, 2012, right? The, the access that he has to the talent, to the resources and the money, and then his expectation of absolute perfection uh, you know, the stats, yes, are, are very surprising. Am I surprised that he was truly capable of achieving something to that level? No, I'm not surprised at all. How does a head coach balance discipline with at the same time making sure that the player knows he loves them? That is, that's a great, great question because it honestly depends on the personality. Bronco is not someone who is going to pull you to the side and have an extremely, you know, personable 20 to 30 minute conversation with you about your personal life. It may be five, it may be 10, right? When Bronco is laughing, he's, uh, you know, the guy really is a, a fun person to be around, right? Um, but because he demands a discipline in every facet, and he stays consistent with that, it is very easy for players to understand that he isn't, you know, he's not a two-faced guy. He's extremely who he is in the public, is who he is in his personal life, uh, and he stays consistent and disciplined throughout every phase of his life. And so when you have that type of consistency, even if your personality may rub people the wrong way, it's exactly what 
is needed for the time and the place. Right? And so players know that when you have a chance to sit down with Bronco, you're going to feel his love and you're not in this worry, uh, worried environment because you feel like he's being different. Right? You just know, hey, this is who he is 100% of the time. Whereas Kalani, Kalani's going to sit down with you for 30 to 45 minutes and express his gratitude and love for you. Right. And he's going to do that through the questions he asks. He's going to do that through his enduring, endearing actions. He's going to do that through, uh, you know, showing the people around you and the people that you love, like your wife and, you know, daughter, uh, that he cares about them, that he knows them as well. So it's just the personality differences are, you know, on two ends of the spectrum. But the way that they show love to each other or, like, in their own separate ways is through that genuine honesty, trust, respect, all those, all those main things. So knowing these guys, it's interesting to both of us how they've chosen to build programs and how they need to build programs based on who they are. There's a lot of people listening to this who just want to know who's going to win the game Saturday night. So Dylan, who's going to win the game Saturday night? And... I, I think I obviously I, it comes down to the way that the defense plays. It comes down to the way that the defense adjusts. It comes down to the way that they are able to stop the pass game. Um, to be honest, a lot of people may not like this, but I don't think it's going to take pressure. It's not going to take bringing the house. Really? Um, it is honestly going to take understanding assignment football defensively so that you are not exploited. Uh, because if you shy away from the assignment, right, and you try and roam or you try and play your own game, Bronco knows exactly how to take control of that. And if there's one person who's not going to let an atmosphere get in his way of being successful, is Bronco. Uh, so it, I am, I believe that this will be the toughest game of the year for them. No questions asked. If there is one game, I'm going to sit here and say, yeah, I think Virginia has the upper hand. I believe Virginia has the upper hand. Um, but my hope is that, obviously, BYU shines through and the defense can play assignment assignment sound and understand what gaps need to be filled and what holes in the defensive uh, backfield need to, be, need, need to be contained so that they don't have the opportunity to throw for 400 yards. If we hold them to 275, anywhere between 275 and 315, I think we, we win the game. All right, well, we'll uh, look for that for sure, yeah, because it's obvious you look at their stats and they're throwing the ball like crazy, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, the the rush three, drop eight, uh, just for some reason that gets under fans' skin. It does. <laughs> of all the defenses you can and, play. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. I dare a soul, okay, no, no matter how long you've played football, in today's, day, in today's game where everything is based on reads, from the RPO to the receivers, very rarely do you have a route that is just run, hey, you're going to run a post at eight yards and you're going to hit the angle. Everything is dependent upon what the defensive backfield and the linebackers are doing. As you see three down and drop eight, all of your reads that you've been taught are now confused and muddled, Right. So to be able to read the defensive backfield when they are dropping eight, your routes become, because chances are you're running two routes per play, depending upon what the defense is, defense is playing. 
when you're dropping eight, it becomes far more difficult, far more difficult to make a decision on what route you're going to be running and adjusting to. And so that, that hinders a lot of receivers and it hinders a lot of players, including quarterbacks, to be able to read that type of defense. And so that's where I think if you have a team that's running for 400 yards, right, a key example of that, 2018 against Hawaii, a team that was averaging over 300 yards, right, my senior year, Hawaii came to BYU, and I think we shut them down for 275 yards because we plugged up every single one of their reads and confused their receivers just by dropping eight. And that is the type of stuff that is, is critical to an offense that's throwing for 400 yards. There's a lot of numbers you can add up that when teams travel two time zones, they don't play nearly as well. And it is exacerbated when a Western team has to play way early in the morning on their body clock or when an Eastern team plays a game on their body clock runs from like 10 p.m. until 1.30 in the morning. And that's what yeah. Virginia is going to have to do. This game will probably kick off at 10.30 on their body clocks. How big a factor was that? You played in Hawaii, so you did a lot of these. Basically, every game you played, somebody was way out of kilter. How big an impact did you feel when you were having to do it? The, the, night, games, the night games, you're really unaffected. The night games are, are more fun. It kind of takes you back to when you were a kid and the lights went on and you got to go and play football. The morning games, going the opposite way, is one of the more brutal experiences. I mean, you hear about teams waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning for pregame breakfast and walkthrough, which I think is absolutely asinine. Um, <laughs> by the time game time starts at 10, 11 o'clock, people are just exhausted and can't play. Uh, but the ability that you have to wake up early and go and play I mean, if you can do that and play effectively uh, after switching two time zones, then more power to you because that's hands down. Uh, the night games really don't affect you that bad. It's the morning games that are killers. Dylan Colley, former BYU receiver, and I think now we've tapped into your knowledge of all the coaches we need to tap into, Dylan. Good work. I wish you could have played hey, for like yo. 10 more coaches. I think I think I may have set a record, but I'll, uh, I wish I could have more. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk to you again next week, and uh, thanks for coming on. Enjoy the game. Yep. Thanks, Jeff. Bye. BYU in Virginia, Saturday night, 8.15, which, of course, we all know means 8.20, 8.25, eight 8.30, starting on ESPN News. You must have said body clock five, six times. Body clock. Let me you hear, hear your, your body, body clock. clock. Yeah, Olivia Your body clock? <laughs> And that game will be going the same time as the Utes. Utes are supposed to kick off at 8, Cougars at 8.15, ESPN and ESPN2. So commence channel surfing or multiple screens, whatever you like to do. My body clock is 2 a.m. at all times. <laughs> I'm simply known as last call. <laughs> it's a quarter after... It's quarter after one. One. I'm a little drunk and I need you now. <laughs> Don't believe that hasn't been said to me. I said I can only be in one place. Flagstaff, hello. I'm going to be at one... One place at one time, so sorry, you're going to have to wait. Wait till like a quarter to two. I'll get there. DJ and PK, <laughs> we'll get you up to speed. If you join the show late, we'll do that next. Stay with us.